Alright, good morning everyone. Welcome to episode number 38 of the Audio Podcast. As always, you're joined by the Auto Bros, Jason and Alex Von Kennel. And this week we're joined by a very special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, our very own Sasquatch, Liam Randall. <laughs> How are you, brother? Good, nice to be here finally, boys. Yeah. yeah Liam's been a, a, a long friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work together. That's how, that's how we met. We should probably start by saying how. Yeah, should probably uh, introduce him. So this is actually the first time I've met Liam in, in the flesh. Uh, but I feel like I know you. Oh, we share a bond. We that's, do. We do. It's, it's you can't comprehend <laughs> in person. <laughs> Just online brotherhood. Yeah, that, so, that's, a, that's a special thing. Online, I, online brotherhood. I, I think so, hmm. uh, especially in I guess today's world where we have to social distance. That is true. Yeah, uh, you need to form these bonds. We've actually done this pretty well, haven't we? Yeah, really. Kind of. Yeah, I think we we're going to uh, need to regain that social interaction. And what I like what you said is that there's probably not a lot of people that will form friendships online and ever meet. No, but they should. Mm. Yeah. Right. They should. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I know I've had one previously from the US, and mm. like I've got no intentions of going over there, but. Just mutual interest. So she's the strange thing. So I'm 27. She's the strange thing? Well, she is a little bit strange. So she's in her 60s. Right. Uh, But she's actually owns a catering company called Food to Die For, which caters to essentially uh, touring bands. (laughs) So she'll do the, um, like the loadout for, you know, if Metallica comes to town or whatnot. Essentially, she'll do all the catering for those gigs. But just the mutual interest of, you know, if you share on Instagram or Facebook, whatever, you know, oh, I went to this concert and they get shared around the world and someone else comments, mm. sparks up from there. So is that how you guys met in the first place? Yeah, essentially. So like, I've never met this person, but mm. she sent like, uh, tour merch and things like that from different, uh, essentially catering gigs that she's had, mm. you know, shirts or patches and things like that she's got from the band, but Again, it's it's someone from a different world that I've never interacted with, mm. but you know we can still communicate from you know two different you know she's forty years older than me, mm. but we can still share you know one mutual bond, which is mm. you know love of music. I think the beauty of social media is that you can find your audience. Yeah. So, it, as opposed to previous to social media, where you can only really form bonds with people that were physically close to you. Yeah, yeah, generally pre pre social media, the only time you would interact with a sixty year old woman because of your heavy metal is when your neighbours yelling over the fence, turn that shit down. Um, but no, that's that's really cool, and that's probably one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about, like the negatives of social media. Uh, that's a positive thing that can come out of it. You know, okay. you can you can make connections with people that you you'd never normally connect with and bond over a, a mutual um, interest, which is pretty cool. If you're looking to bond, yes. Yeah, so that's that's the, that's, that's probably the key, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's using social media as the as a a tool for good. Yeah, which is not what it's been primarily used for. No, no, no. De- definitely, a lot of people go on there. I think with the intent of being in attack mode every yeah. single day. Um, I had a uh, I was going through the comments on I can't even remember what the post was. It was something fighting related recently, um, MMA related. And there was someone who was just saying some stuff that you just knew he was a troll and people were biting at it and they were going back at him. Um, and then I just, out of interest, just clicked on his profile 
and in his little blurb at the top, it says, like, just something about, like, trolling MMA fanboys for fun. And it's like, <laughs> you know, did, did none of you guys even consider that at the beginning? Like, it was... But the, the beauty of that is he's even proving how stupid mm. the comment section are when he's outwardly said, you're one click away from finding the truth, mm-hmm. but they don't even want to do that. They just want to fight it because there's this... I was speaking to someone yesterday and we almost summed up social media as like an issue was raised, the one percenters on each side of the argument scream over top of everyone else that's yeah. in the middle that doesn't really care that much. Yeah, it's the loudest minority rules. Yeah. 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 But anyway, get, getting, getting off the social media path, because we should probably actually introduce Liam right, to, our, to our viewers here. So, um, Alex, you worked with Liam how long, how, ago? how long ago was it? Three or four years ago? No. It's 18 months. No, it must be long. Oh, yeah, it could be. No, it must be longer than that. I've been here for a year. Yeah. But you only left Eagers, what, six months before that? Or left... Well, you left immediately and started this. Yeah. But we worked together six months yeah, prior to you. Because you went back to Volkswagen. Yeah. So it would have... Because you left... Kazu's, uh, what, December, November of, what, 2019? Something like Oh, this is riveting that. stuff, gents. Riveting stuff. Yes, anyway. Uh, Let's say 18 months ago, yeah, roughly. <laughs> we worked together. I, I, think, I think we struck up a bond over... I think Oddities. Yeah. It was strange. Into, into sort of some of the same weird humour, some of the same sort of music. Um, both probably, I think from a logic standpoint I think you were frustrated with where you're at at the moment because you were you were very like a extremely logical person and I think you were frustrated that the irrational and illogical things that were happening in that department at the time mm. uh, maybe I provided a little bit of of uh, oh I mean it wasn't hard you just needed someone rational to come into that business and you could instantly bond with them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's where Avon started, but the reason why we wanted our lead one today is because he has been on a bit of a, a, a journey, uh, a f- lifestyle journey, mm-hmm. we'll say, and uh, you were not in the best shape. No. When I met you, is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. Yeah. yeah. And since you've left, we've all left the industry, basically. Mm-hmm. And we've all gone on, on our journeys. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'll start a business. Tell us about what got you to start your journey and what that journey's looked like and what, what, what it means now. Hmm. I think this is going to be something that probably hasn't been said before when someone makes a transformation because it's usually very uplifting. Like, mm-hmm. I had to find myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do uh, most of the things in my life are based on money or spite. (laughs) 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 And this transformation had both. Right. Uh, So uh, in my previous role, I worked with uh, a sales manager, a good friend of mine. Uh, Essentially, he, uh, outside of work, is very much into powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, so tried to get me 
introduced into that sort of sport. It's a bit of a niche mm-hmm. sport, I guess. You know, it's not your everyday team sport, football, basketball, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, individual sport, which you don't see broadcasted all that often. But he was a sort of heavier guy and dropped a dramatic amount of weight out of this. No cardio or very limited cardio, which is what most people hate to do, mm. um, especially things like running and whatnot. It's, it can produce a lot of, you know, of, uh, stress uh, to the body. Also mentally, you know, mm. you're exerting yourself. Uh, you know, people don't like doing it. I think especially when your titties are jiggling. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But like, just the part of that, one of the things I always hated, because way back in the day, I did a certificate three and four in fitness. Way back in the day. And this is back when I wanted to be a personal trainer. And what one thing that used to just grind me so much is when you would get people who like had done the same sort of qualifications I did, which compared to the science around exercise physiology now, mm-hmm. I don't know anything. Like it's it's the absolute basics shit that we were taught back in the day. But what I used to hate was you would have um, a, a, a new trainer who would bring on a client who's like a 45, 50-year-old Oh, technically obese person, so someone who might be carrying an extra 20 or 30 kilos more than what they should be, mm. haven't touched a, a weight, haven't done a squat, haven't done anything for 20, 30 years, and they're like, all right, so we're going to go and do a one kilometer run. Yeah. And it's like the, the amount of pressure on your joints, on your ankles, on your knees, like your hips, you're not ready for that stuff. No, so again, from a, from a perspective of being a and, and even like just a naturally larger person like yourself, like you're quite tall. Like what are you, six, six-ish? Uh, six, three, six, four. Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah, yeah. See, I'm saying six, you're a big six, four. You're a big six, four. I think you're just a little five, ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably part of it. I'm trying to pump you up to make me look taller <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it wouldn't make sense for someone who is your size to go and do, all right, I'm going to do 5Ks of road running every day. No, and I think that's the problem that a lot of personal trainers sort of get to is once a client hits some form of plateau, the only, because they, they're not sort of always as experienced as potentially they should be, mm-hmm. their recommendation is lower the calories, up mm. the cardio. That's the only two solutions. It's mm. never, you know, well... Uh, can we modify the diet? Can we up the weights and things like that? Like, and also finding something that the client actually enjoys. Yeah. Mm. Cause you generally find like even, you know, say the, the bodybuilding community and things like that, they love stacking on the way. The part they hate is it's the cardio to yeah. cut back down. Uh, and when you're left with the only thing is cutting, you know, mm. because the trainer doesn't know how to work around it. Well then you're, you don't want to do it anymore. And that's, you know, you see it all the time. The everyone joins a gym January first. They yeah. do it for, you know, two weeks, a month. And, you know, this involves a lot of running. Mm. Most gyms it's actually written into the like that's part of this model is to yeah is to get that big the big height and they know that you can't fill if all the members of the gym went there at the same time they wouldn't fit yeah mm. so it's just by design. Pro- only profitable if you have people that sign up and never go. Never go. Yeah, so, okay, so, you had a friend, so you had a friend that said, come and try yeah, powerlifting. powerlifting. So it's something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, no experience in it whatsoever. Uh, I've gone to various gyms throughout you know, my life mm-hmm. and it's always been machines yep. because you don't need, there's no involvement of 
asking a trainer how to do different exercises mm. or anything like that. It's got the instructions on it. You just go at it. Because you're a bit of a, you, would you consider yourself an introvert? Big time. Yeah. Um, so my family, uh, the males in my sort of bloodline have, have various levels of autism. Right. So communication's not, I mean, I, I can still do it. I had a, you know, successful career as a sales manager. So I do know how to communicate, but mm. it's not my go-to. I yeah. have to go into a separate sort You of can do it, but you don't love it at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. If the choice was to stay home, I'm staying home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so essentially it would just be, yeah, different, different, uh, you know, machines, which I wouldn't know what I was doing. I wouldn't know how many reps to do. You do it a few times. You don't see any results because you only stay there for mm. half an hour and go, I don't know what I'm doing. And then you leave mm. and then you, you quit the gym. Mm -hmm. And that's been my experience constantly. Yeah. So, uh, one of the reasons why I got into powerlifting was for also for, for my mate as well as myself. Cause I could see that he was sort of had a stressful job. It's not a sort of, not a lot of people do the sport. So he sort of felt a little bit isolated in that not many people are, are doing this with me. I can't really communicate it with a lot of yeah, people. So I thought, yeah. yeah, so I thought, oh, how about I do it with you? So I think he was doing a cut at the time. He was trying to make weight for a competition. So, and he said, oh, you know, because he was such a big guy and he cut down, he still got sort of, fat man mentality mm. right so you know he still looks in the mirror and goes oh i'm 140 kilos even though he's cut down to 100 right but he always sees that 140 kilo guy sure. yeah looking back at him mm. it's a bit of sort of body dysmorphia type 100 percent. yeah so i thought oh well, how about i do this with you mm -hmm. uh you know i'm overweight i've got no experience you know, if what like better way to make yourself feel feel, feel better, yeah. <laughs> so, or that's yeah. the thing, you know, you've got someone who's deadlifting, you know, two hundred and forty kilos. Someone who, you know, has never deadlifted before in their life. Mm. You're gonna feel great after mm. doing a session with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's that's what got me sort of started. Mm -hmm. uh, what weight were you then? <sighs> were, were you looking? Was that a, was that a thing or? At this point, it's not, not really. Uh, for the last sort of three, four years, I've probably been 110, 115. So mm. I've always been like pretty overweight. Mm. But the crutch was always sort of wear baggy clothes, things like that. Mm. Sure. And as long as you can sort of puff your chest out, you know, it covers the, yeah. the stomach to a certain degree. Uh, but essentially, one of the guys that he's mates with that got him started on his journey, he owns his own gym. Right. So he has, it's, it's called Iron House Gym at Caboolture, mm -hmm. uh, but he runs a program called Platform Strong. So he and his partner are both very dedicated uh, coaches and very successful uh, powerlifters. So Jen, his partner, uh, Dave's partner is, uh, I think, the number one under 60 kilo powerlifter in Australia. Wow. So, you know, hugely competitive, you know, one of the strongest women potentially in the world yeah. for her weight class yeah and it, you know you can't do that without a lot of work no no of course not so essentially my sort of thought was well if you're going to go to a trainer go to people who are obviously extremely yeah successful in what they do they they know what they're talking about to a certain degree makes yeah. sense yeah uh they had a 10-week challenge mm -hmm. so essentially and it wasn't the thing that i liked about it is it wasn't based on weight loss 
because mm-hmm. you had a lot of people who were powerlifters at that gym, so they might already be extremely fit. Mm. So it was based on, you know, who was dedicated to doing other workouts or, you know, uh, getting their macros correct or, you know, completing, uh, you know, PBs and lifts and things mm. like that. So the most consistent good behaviors Con- correct. overall. Correct. And it was over 10 weeks, mm-hmm. which is a good amount of time to make realistic changes in day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. You usually see a lot of gyms do like a 30-day challenge and you gain nothing yeah. from 30 days in terms of like principles that you can carry forward. Cause that's how you get a lot of this sort of like binge mentality and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, you know, I'll go on a shake diet for four weeks. Yeah. I'll cut a bunch of weight, but I've not learned anything from no, that. No, like I'll, I'll win a competition in the most unhealthy way that I possibly can. Correct. And then at the end of it, I'm just going to go straight back to doing also, what I was doing before. Correct. The reward mechanism, I, I've seen people do those oh, yeah. challenges and then the day of the challenge, the day, like the afternoon of the challenge, go and eat more McDonald's than they would have ever eaten before. Yeah, because you sell them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so you're now putting a, an extreme hook on the end of something so short-term when you should be thinking of lifestyle. You should mm, be thinking yeah. of what, what, what changes you're going to make. And that's the thing, like 10 weeks is, it's two and a half months. You know, it's it's almost a third of a year. You know, realistically, if you're looking at it, mm. that's a pretty decent amount of time to really set in stone you know, rhythms in not only diet, but just exercise and how you look at exercise and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so, you, so you're in this 10 week challenge? Yeah. And what sort of, how many competitors are there? So it's about a hundred people all oh. up in yep. the, in the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, first prize was two and a half grand. Second prize was a PlayStation 5. And then I think Three. Which is worth three and a half grand. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually had it too. It wasn't like we'll get you one eventually. It was like, an empty box. <laughs> and the other the other three prizes were sort of like, you know, uh, nutrition shop vouchers and things like yeah. that. So I thought, okay, well, unemployed, chance to get some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you get top prize. Uh, but one thing Or chance to get a PlayStation the, 5. Or a PlayStation <laughs> 5 and carry on uh, being unemployed. Yeah. But one of the things that I'd never sort of grasped in my uh, repertoire, I guess, was ha- like healthy habits. I've, I've always sort of prided my uh, ability to have a strong sort of mental attitude mm-hmm. uh, and be adaptable to different situations and problem solve and things like that and never really cared about how my body carried me through mm-hmm. all of those processes. You use your mind to overcome your body. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a major issue. Cause I, I was the same. And it's the, it's big a big time. issue with intelligent people is you can think of a way to justify anything yourself. You Correct. can also, you can you like, learn to adapt. Yeah. You can work around your, your weight issues. Exactly. Yeah. Who was the, um, the business person who said he, he tries to hire lazy people. Cause they usually find Bill the most Gates. efficient. Yeah. Bill Gates. He'll hire a lazy find, programmer. Yeah. Cause they'll find the most efficient way to do something. So instead of just putting in bucket loads of work, the lazy person's going to find the easiest way to do it. I heard of a great sense. one where a, a software engineer was getting paid $120,000 a year by six different companies and he would just what get the job and outsource it to overseas <laughs> <laughs> and get done for 10 grand. Wow. 10 grand each, so it was costing him 60 and he got paid $700,000 a year. That's brilliant. Yeah. But anyway, that's an, that's an example. I wonder, what, I wonder if he was a bigger boy or a... 
I'm not sure. Well, he, he seemed to have had, he probably had a lot of time to be at the gym, but That's true. I also think he's very smart and he's he could have used his intelligence against himself. Could He could be the most jacked programmer in history. He could be. He could be. Yeah, so so the the, the, the money was, was, was up there. Did the, I, I want to ask you now, knowing you, how much weight was put behind the competition side? So forget the prize money, but you, did you did you have an urge to compete? Yeah, that was a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. At the last stages of working uh, with the previous role, we had a desk decorating competition, right? So basically how I exited the business, COVID sort of came along, uh, our dealership merged with another dealership brand and essentially we were in a process of trying to retuck us into diff- different mm-hmm. homes in the interim we were stuck in the call center mm. which is the most fun place <laughs> in the world uh but i actually sort of half respect the managers there in the way that they did trying to boost morale mm-hmm. in a somewhat stagnant role i guess uh, one of the things they do is sort of, you know, stretches at, at two o'clock. So they might get up and yeah, play cool. play a game of, you know, Pictionary or something like that just mm-hmm. to get everyone sort of, you know, up and moving yeah. around. But one of the things they did was a desk decorating competition and you got a day off, right? Now, a day to me in dollar value is, I don't know. A million? Um, <laughs> <laughs> a billion? But at the time it would have been like a hundred bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I happily went out and spent, you know, $150, to, <laughs> $200 to pimp out my desk. I set yep. up like a Metallica stage, essentially. Right. It had like, figurines. Yeah, figurines. Yeah. had yeah. Uh, diffusers, which looked like fog machines, had lights, speakers, everything. So you notice that this is why we brought you on today to talk about your fitness journey, not for finances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the competition side of things. Yeah. Uh, I used to be quite uh, good at basketball as a kid. So I played basketball for uh, Brisbane up until about 16 years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. I sort of, I love the competition side of things, but I found that once, once you got to sort of a certain, uh, I guess, elitist level in certain sports, that's when money started to get Mm. involved. And I found, you know, my parents didn't, yeah, come from wealth or anything like that. You'd mm-hmm. often have your hand-me-down basketball shoes from your older brothers, things mm-hmm. like that. And I was sort of getting mixed into all of these uh, kids that they were good at the sport, but they had the money backing them, yeah. which helped them sort of get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just two different worlds. It didn't it didn't work for me. I had a similar experience. As a yeah. yeah. So I think that that's, that's an aspect that I have lost in... I guess the sporting world that I always tried to then put into my career mm-hmm. is always try and progress as quickly as you can, most efficiently, often against other people, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, and it's, I find unless you find somewhere to put it in a healthy way, it can become toxic. Preach until the choir, man. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, that's something I've tried to coach out of both of you. Yeah. And so it, we, we both had, uh, We've both, I've, I've seen in both of you guys where you will, we, 
there is an aspect of, for, from a managerial point of view, a good manager would try and get all ships to rise together. Mm-hmm. But from an individual's point of view, a lot of people want to want to progress through the ranks at all costs. And at all costs could mean could be to de- the detriment of the team because you might have a competitor that you, the most efficient way is widening them, get them out of your way, and then you instantly progress. But from a managerial point of view, that's not the best way. It's just a way for you, but not a, col- a, a way that helps the collective. Correct. Mm-hmm. And it, it bites from the arse in the long run because if you spend all your energy trying to dismantle someone else, you've not spent that energy on your team. Yeah. So even if you do get that role, you're still stuck with a shitty team because mm-hmm. you didn't spend any time. You know, or you, or you, it might not even be that you're stuck with a shitty team, but you you're stuck with a team who possibly doesn't back you because you have yeah, built relationships that you were it. supposed to with that's them as it. well. Yeah. Or or if it comes time for you to then move on from that role, you've got no one to replace you, so mm. they give it to someone else because oh well, you've not spent the time training someone to take your spot. Mm-hmm. You know, now you can't move on. That's so. such an important mentality thing that a lot of people just don't realize is if you want to actually move up, you need to show that you can leave the place better than when you took it over. 100%. Because if you can't, then why would you be given more responsibility? Exactly. It's, mm. yeah, it's, it's extremely valuable. And that's, that is something that I, you know, learned from Alex in my time. But I think it was also, I guess, the situation of the business at that time. Like you saw what it was like mm. with the you know, management, how it was carried out before you started, it was that environment of who can we point the finger at? Yeah. Mm. And that's why I was frustrated, I think, you know, uh, engaged more with you because I was like, oh, this guy actually sees it from a different point of yeah. view where we are trying to build something, but everyone's just so stuck up there on asses. Yeah. Solutions-based thinking. We need to have some solutions-based thinking as yeah. opposed to finger-pointing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, with this with being sort of unemployed for X amount of time, you do need to funnel that energy into something. So, you know, you know, whilst I'm not helping a company grow at the moment, why not help myself? Mm. So that's, that's sort of what went into this challenge. Mm-hmm. Winning was a very good... Uh, so you won it 10 weeks? I did win it, you yes. Yeah. So in the challenge, I lost 16 and a half kilos over that 10 weeks. Jesus. So I've lost... 20 kilos to date now. So highest was a hundred, awesome, highest was a 119.5, mm-hmm. um, sitting about hundred, uh, 99 now. So double digits, haven't seen double digits for. So you have a lightest guy in the room. What are you? <laughs> yeah, 105. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And you're the tallest. Yeah. So that's impressive. And you can lift more than us. <laughs> so that's really impressive. Yeah, well done. Really impressive. Well, that was, that was one of the things that I said to uh, my coaches was, I wanted to be strength based. So mm-hmm. I said, at the end of the challenge, I don't care how I look, mm-hmm. what the scale says, as long as I progress weight wise. Uh, cause I find that a lot of people get uh, fixated on a number on the scale mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, you could be 110 kilos and you know, heaps of body fat, you could be 110 kilos and you know, be a competitor, you know, ready to run yeah. the football field. Yeah. Weight is, you know, meaningless unless mm. there's something behind it. So, and this was just, uh, you know, they just work together. You know, mm. if you do the program, your weight, you know, weightlifting ability progresses, but you also drop sort of body fat mm-hmm. at the same time with the exercise. So 
you know, they just worked hand in hand together. But I just made sure that was my focus rather than the numbers and the scale. Because mm. that can fluctuate too. I mean, you have, you know, a salty meal or something and you hold more water. You know, you could find at the end of a hard working week you've put on, mm. you know, a kilo. And then you get, you know, demotivated. Get down yourself, yeah. See, I don't fluctuate. <laughs> I don't fluctuate at all. I've just gradually, over the last three years, gone up 15 kilos. Mm. And, and, uh, I find I, I find myself tricking myself when a friend I was speak, speaking to another friend and he's like, oh yeah, I dropped two kilos. They started at the gym this week and dropped two kilos. Yeah, and that in my head, like that's played in my head. But then I have to realize exactly what you said, which that is a metric that is actually not uh, an important metric. Mm. No, but you also find that people who go to the gym for the first time and drop two kilos, it's like your body's going to shock. Like mm. you've not done yeah yep this before because. That was the other thing, like the reason why I lost so much weight so quickly. So I hadn't been exposed to exercise, like proper genuine exercise, heart rating, sweating mm. for a decade. Mm. You know, even when I was going to the gym prior for a month or so, I'm not doing anything there. Yeah. 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 Whereas I had structure. So I work very well on, I, I am a, I can problem solve and I do have my own thoughts, but I do also flourish on structure mm. especially if it's a field that i'm not experienced with sure. so if i know what i'm doing i can find different ways to adapt things mm -hmm. but if if this is a world where it's foreign to me if you can give me a plan i'll do it yeah, yeah. so this is one of the things i uh, discussed both with my trainer and with alex was i was very strict on the diet mm -hmm. so the macros too were to a t and one of the uh, Dave's concern, my trainer was, oh, well, how will this translate after the challenge? Mm -hmm. You know, if you've been so strict on yourself now, how will you adapt it to, you know, going to breakfast or pizza night or whatever? You know, is it going to derail you? I said, well, there's no point you giving me a plan with set macros and set exercises unless I follow it. Mm. Uh, you know... There's, I want to see what I can do in this 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. What happens afterwards, we'll deal with it afterwards. Yeah. But I want to see what can be achieved with what you've set out, essentially. And you do learn, because it is over 10 weeks, you can sort of learn, okay, well, you know, rice is X amount of carbs and protein and oats is X amount of carbs and proteins and, and fats. And you can sort of grasp our wall, a pancake, you know, that's made mostly of oats, you know, you can, you can do your little hacks, mm -hmm. I guess. So you can still make everyday food. Yeah. So you're saying it's, it's about allowing your brain, like giving your brain a structure, like the, health, the healthiest version of the structure and then modifying it and hacking it to something that you, you like. But if you had not done it before, you would have just had a pancake. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah it, it, it changes your relationship with food. Yeah. And time. you do, it's like, you know, we, we mentioned on the podcast a few times before about money, for example, like people who focus on their money generally make more money. Mm. People who don't focus on it, generally the money disappears and goes somewhere else. If you, if you take a 10 week period of time to focus on your food, it's hard to all of a sudden not focus on it afterwards. So you might go back and you might add some things back into your diet that are the bad things that got you into where you were in the first place, but you're not going to be doing it to the same extreme. No, correct. And it's it's about looking at, like we had sushi the other day. You you can, you know, before you're just loading up your plates and having plates and plates and plates, 
I think we had five plates each or something yeah. like that. But it was, you know, only like the salmon and rice and things yeah. like that. It wasn't yeah. getting like the cheese covered, you yeah, know, yeah, crunchy yeah. chicken rolls and things like that. Mm. So you can still enjoy going out. Mm -hmm. You just look at it in a different way. Mm. What I find interesting about the way that your mind works too is that you are you are more computer than you are human. Oh, big time. So for the, what I see is you going with that 10 weeks of strict macro following was purely a data collection thing to then know what you, so, and after that point, you know, okay, if I do this, then that equals this. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's really, really fast. Because I'm not, I'm not like that. Mm. I'm not a, I have to really apply my brain to try and figure out trends, patterns and, no, and it's funny because the only other person that I know whose brain works in the same way I despise. <laughs> um, which, so I can see how it's irritating for other people, but that's... I don't, no, I don't think it's irritating. Well, like, it, it's it, a... it can be. So, like, I'll often repeat a, a scenario in my head hours after it's happened. If I've had a certain interaction, I'll... Mm play it back often with my partner she be like shut the fuck up that <laughs> happens yeah two hours ago but it's all yeah i guess data collection and storage how can mm. i apply it to the situation next time but it's like it's it's the principle of machine learning isn't it it's pretty much you yeah. give it you give a scenario and then you just run the scenario multiple times and see what in different ways and see what, what the different results is. are so i do something very similar to that too yeah. i think i think a lot of people do it whether they realize they're doing it or not is probably another thing mm. see i have the negative the, those negative interactions you talk about i play them in my mind too and i don't play the positive ones so that's all the negative outcomes yeah so so I should have hit that guy. I should have stabbed him. Well, yeah, like when, <laughs> when, when I might have an interaction, I think I had one recently. A joke didn't land. Right. With uh, I was yeah, out, that happens to you all the time. Very rarely, very rarely. Top shelf comedy. But I I threw some some joke out, and like the shower it, bottles laughed. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> uh, it didn't get the reaction that I thought. And then I, I just played it over my head and over my head and over my head. And I realised that I probably used one of the wrong words, and I, I mm. interchanged the word and then tried it again, and, and it and it worked. It mm. I can't even remember what the joke was, but it was. It, it was, was a crack. Was good. Did you did you tell the joke to the same person? No, no. But I I was very critical of myself in that moment, and I can see how if you feel like if you're overly like that, and you pick up every uh, uh, interaction as negative interaction, and you're constantly turning over in your head the bad stuff. I can see how that could be pretty damaging. Mm. But do you only like, think about the bad stuff? Because I, I, I think about negatives too, but I think about the positive stuff a lot as well. And I think that's half my problem is that I, I think about I think about times when I've had a positive interaction with someone where maybe it's made me feel good, and then I just think about that all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sweet. Yeah. No, mine's my brain is worst case scenario. Yeah. Okay. At all times. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm over prepared in a lot of aspects yeah. of my life mm -hmm. is because it's always going to be shit <laughs> it can also it can be a barrier between just doing anything too right correct because again like if you it's that paralysis by analysis thing where you might and, and it's why i'm probably if your brain's like that it's an admirable thing that you've even done this 10-week challenge in the first place in a field that you've never experienced before mm. uh, because most people with the same brain would go how can this go wrong and they would have a myriad of of ways that it could go wrong and they go okay it's probably not worth me even trying it 
I, but I did think of all those before I went in. Mm-hmm. However, the two things I mentioned earlier, money and spying, are far more powerful than what could potentially go wrong. So bring, tell, tell us about the spy element, because we've spoken about the money, and I want to hear about the spy, because that interests me. <laughs> There's a person in my life who will remain nameless, mm-hmm. who is, in my mind, built up more so than they should be my arch nemesis. Right. Uh, so this person doesn't know that you're their arch... They that might. They are your arch nemesis. I don't think so. Uh, but... Uh, Would you prefer that they do or they don't? I'm, at this point, I'm either way. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. But would it, would, it, would it be more upsetting to know that your arch nemesis doesn't even know you exist? I'd want to know. No, they, they know I exist. Yeah. I've interacted with this person. I haven't just picked a random person. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I always found irritating was that I could be successful in all other fronts of life, Mm -hmm. relationship, uh, finances, working career, education, whatever have you. It's Mm -hmm. all fine. The insult would always be you fat. Right. Which was true. But it's the easiest thing to do, right? But it was accurate. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. And that's why it strikes a nerve as well. It does strike a nerve. But it Which didn't... is surprising because it has to go through so much fat to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't mind that I was fat. I minded that it was the only thing that this person had. Then you'd given them a weapon. I wanted to take it off them. Mm. So you don't have this anymore. Mm. What have you got? Yeah. It was, it's the one thing, because it was, it was always the only thing. Right. You're fat. Do I know this person? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's all it was. It's. Well, I, that's, that's great. Like it's, it's, yeah. Taking someone's weapon away from them. But we, like, we spoke about, I think we've spoken about something similar previously where it's dangerous. At least you've only got one person that you felt that, like that way about and you're doing something in yourself to fix it because no, it doesn't affect that person at all yeah it's not negative towards them mm. it's just taking something off them that was negative towards me mm. which because it's funny because i still don't like if i bounced back and gained a ton of weight again and got really fat I would be disappointed that I had let go of the hard work, mm-hmm. but I don't think it would dismantle me as a person, mm. which I think it was the, uh, I think that was the important part of why I went for being able to lift more weight than I did for weight loss. Mm. Cause I didn't want to get trapped into the cycle of, you know, constantly looking in the mirror and oh, have I, you know, yeah. well, how do I look and any yeah. things like that. It mm. was just, you know, Plates on the bar. Yep. Sometimes I can put plates on the bar. I don't care what comes at the end of it. And I think that's that's been good in terms of, uh, you know, I can go out and eat food again mm. and things like that because I'm not overly concerned about, oh, if you got, is the tum-tum coming back or anything like mm. that. So you will be when you watch this back. You'll be <laughs> shot in widescreen to fit us all in. That's yeah. That's why I'm five foot eight in this. By the way, <laughs> uh, I, I do. I do just want to say two things about you picking a target. Okay, so that same mentality can be very close to the line of bullying, right? So, mm. so you you could pick a target as a bully, 
And what a bully would do is now cut that person down any way that they can do it. To and make themselves feel better. To make yourself feel better, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so, so that, that, is, that is bullying. What you've done is use that as a motivator to mm. target yourself. The other thing I'll say, which is what we have spoken before, is that you've picked one. Mm. The problem with social media is that you, tr- you tend to rate yourself up against an unlimited amount of people, and that's dangerous. If you pick one or two or three people and you say, okay, so they're my benchmark, and mm. I'm going to work towards those, those benchmarks, that's okay. If you try and live up to what you see in a countless number of people on social media, mm. that's a problem. But it's not even just picking one person or one nemesis. You've also picked one uh, fitness Actually. goal to, mm. to target. Mm. That's one of the things that I struggle with is that, like, at the moment for me in life, the only thing that I can really focus on is weightlifting at home because I'm trying to work out around Nate. But it's not really in line with how I've always worked out in the past because it's always been sports-related mm. in the past. And sports specific, so whether it was basketball or kickboxing or whatever it was I was doing back in the day, I would train in that certain way. So then now I even find myself where I think I spread myself a bit too thin on certain things because I want to be able to deadlift 150, but I also want to be able to do a 10k run. And it's like, I don't have probably the time. Yeah, Yeah, I want to be jack of all trades, but I don't really have the time to be able to, um, to do everything. So I really need to have a good heart think about what I want to do right now mm. and probably just streamline it towards that one particular goal, I mm. think. Yeah, and I think it's... I mean, you see it in day-to-day life. People try and put you in a box mm-hmm. uh, and it can lead... I mean, it's the same thing with pressure with finding a job in university and things mm. like that. You're expected at 17 years old to roadmap... The rest of your life. Future. That's right. And pick the one thing that you're going to love for the next 50 years of your working life. And have a uh, debt associated to that too. Because mm-hmm. at 17, you're like, oh, which one of these $60,000 <laughs> uni courses am I going to do? I don't even know if I like it yet, but mm-hmm. I need to sign up and do it. And then that might turn into a career at the end of it. Yeah. I thought beer bongs are cool too. <laughs> It's still cool now. And you should, but that's that's the issue. It's yeah. like you're still, you know, what your frontal lobe doesn't stop developing until you're, what, like 25 or something yeah. like that? Uh, I can give you a real tangible experience that, like, the, the brain development thing was in motorbike riding. Mm. So I got my motorbike license when I was 18, a little bit later than, than what I could have, mm. have got it. I got into motorbike riding late in my driving career. Mm. And I used to have people on a daily say to me, you are a temporary Australian, you're just going to die, you're going to lose your head. And uh, uh, when I was 18, I got my big bike at 19, so I had a 900cc motorbike when I was 19, and it ramped up. And I could think, like, when someone would say, you, you, you're going you're gonna to die, I'd be like, not me, man, not mm. me. And I distinctly remember when I turned 25 years old, riding down the road, and nothing had even happened, a truck just went past. In their lane, everything was fine. And my brain went, what would have happened if they just quit mm. me? Mm. Never had that feeling before. And that was that was literally the formation of that frontal lobe that's, that's saying, okay, you have a fear complex now. You, you think of repercussions now. Mm. But prior to that, I had never, ever, 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 not even considered. If anything, it heightened my the appeal to me of riding because it was more dangerous. 
the people's perception was that it was really, really dangerous. So I, I remember it very distinctly. I, I think about these moments all the time now because I, I would class myself as naturally cautious in certain ways, but also a dickhead in other ways as well. So there's, and I guess it's just that thing of like, you know, people are scared of things they don't understand. So I'm usually cautious about things I don't understand, but in things that I do, I do, I just throw myself into a full heartedly and just back myself to survive or whatever it might be. But one thing I think about a lot um, is alternate universes. And so your, your example just there with the motorbike thing or what would have happened, I reckon as soon as you have that thought process, you've created an alternate universe where that did happen. There's a thousand Alex's going. That's right. Well, because I, I think about this a lot at home now, like with, with Nate, for example, because one of the things that we do every single day is we boil his water bottles. And my stove is here, and then the sink is here. So we, we just get a pot, we put um, water in it, put it on the stove, gas stove, bottles are in it. Meanwhile, Nate's like running around underneath my legs and stuff like that. And then, so one thought I've had a lot is after I've pulled the bottles out of, of the boiling water, I generally will pour the boiling water in the sink. Mm. Now I look at it as a bit of a, like a, um, a sanitary sort of thing too, to like obviously kill any germs in the sink. But the amount of times I've thought about me moving that pot of boiling water over my son and potentially dropping it on him. And I reckon that there's probably alternate universes where I have actually done that. And these thoughts go through my mind all the time. M1, driving up here or driving back, there'll be, you know, potential accidents and stuff like that. And I think every time I think about one of those things, I create an alternate universe in which that's happened. I think that's, uh, that was an episode of uh, Rick and Morty. Where, right? Yeah, probably. Oh, it, uh, Morty wanted a device that, like a PlayStation, you had like a checkpoint. Right. So if you did something, you reverse back. I, to the re- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he thought he was just reversing time, which yeah. Rick said you can't do. So he was just putting him in all the different yeah realities that's right. and killing that Morty. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying Back to the Future's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, so that's on my uh, sort of crackhead thoughts that go through in my brain every day. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, what is the what is the one big takeaway that you've got out of this journey of yours? Because I think it's significant, and, and um, you might actually not think it's as significant as what I think it is for you. And But, but I think it's massive. It's a massive amount of weight. It's a massive amount of concentration and dedication that, that's needed to get there. It's a plunge that most people don't do. If you, if you mm. did a cross-section of the general community, they wouldn't take on something like that. Look, there's people that do, and props to the people that are, that are doing that. But no, you do. it's... I did do it, and I think it's... I do think that a lot of it does have to do with my analytical ones mm. and zeros brain, mm-hmm. because it was essentially just put this food in, do that exercise, result yeah. will happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But most people are a lot more emotional than that. And, it, mm. and I think that the, the, well, there's two main factors. One, people don't know what they're doing. Yep. That's number one. And two, people are emotional. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that this is one of the things that a lot of, say, personal trainers and things like that don't take into consideration is that people are humans. Mm. So what you see from a pre-planned workout. So you could essentially just have, you know, a, a, a pre-planned workout that you could send to 30 people mm-hmm. and you might have, you know, 20 of them flourish on this program. You might have 10 that didn't. And it might not be because of the structured workout. 
but it might have been the mindset of those 10 people yeah. going into those workouts. Mm, 20 of them had the discipline to actually follow it. 10 of them may have found ways around things or... But it's not even... It's not always even that. It might not even be, like, lazy. It could be they broke up with their boyfriend or they got fired from their job or mm. things like... We have... Out trauma or something. We have outside things that happen, mm. you know, that affects our performance in other areas of life. You know, mm. we always promote at work, leave your shit at the door. Mm. That's a fine thing to say, but it doesn't usually work. And it's not helpful either. No. Like, it's, yeah, trying to, trying to tell people who've gone through whatever the case may be, but gone through something, mm. that when they walk through the door of the business that they shouldn't be a human being and actually, you know, talk to a coworker or even their manager about it. Like it's, it's unrealistic and it's unhelpful. I actually think it's the, one of the biggest, uh, misnomers in corporate culture mm. now. So something that I've, I've carried with me for many, many, many years and what I've always tried to instill in any team that I've worked with is not leave it at the door No, because you are here for so long. Mm. How, Let's use work to help facilitate a great life. Mm. So if you have mental baggage that you're bringing from home, let's nut it out at work. Mm. And vice versa, if you're having stuff at, at, at work, well, I want to give you a space that you can, like I want you to feel confident that you can speak mm. at, at, at home about it. That leadership at the door, yep. that is so old school and so integrated and is so anti what, what we should be doing as, mm. a, as a society. And like I said, if you, if you just looked at that allocation of time from from, a, from data, you can't just tell someone to switch off. No. no. And only dedicate your, your capacity to me. Yeah. I was speaking to a friend yesterday and she's having a baby. She's got transitioning from work to um, motherhood and her new boss just doesn't get it. Mm. Well, no, you're either going to work full time or you're not. Mm. Well, hold on a second. Wow. You, you, it's 2021, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. And... She has got so much to offer, but you just might have to customize mm. what that role looks like in the side. And for him, it's, it's not even on the, on that radar. Mm. But I think the really successful managers out there or people managers are going to be people that recognize that, okay, well, you have some, you're bringing something to the table that we really appreciate. Yeah. You've got some stuff that you need to deal with. Let's deal with both of those things together. Yeah. How about you benefit from the work that, that, that I'm going to uh, give you and how about at the same same time we'll help you out with with the other stuff? Mm. Work should facilitate your life. Yeah, you shouldn't facilitate your life at work. For sure. And one of the things that I I was always a big uh, proponent of is when you are working, having a home base. So your home base might be at home if you've got a good home life. And I've I've been fortunate that uh, my my career really started to thrive when I got a good solid home base with my wife now. Uh, but a lot of people don't, or they, they have something going on at home. Mm. Therefore, home's not the home base anymore. No. So work should be your safe space or your home base as well. Because I think I feel like as a human being, if you're spending 50% of your awake time at home and 50% of your awake time at work, mm. which is essentially what you're doing. If you're getting eight hours sleep a night and you're working eight hours a day, there's only eight hours here at home. Mm. One of those things needs to be a safe space for you to be mentally okay. If both of them aren't, then you're going to have big problems. Yeah, correct. And I think that that's the beauty of the gym in one way is that you can make that a constant. Mm -hmm. So in a world of variables where, you know, something might go wrong at work or something might go, you know, wrong at home, that 
20 kilo plane is always going to be a 20 kilo plane. Mm -hmm. It's never going to talk back to you. It's never going to say anything. It's always going to weigh the same. It's a consistent. So if you have somewhere to go for an hour where, you know, everything's set up the way it was when you left Mm -hmm. and you know what you're capable of doing in that place, you, it's, it is, I guess, a meditation way. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I put into place was no music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like the gym will obviously have music playing, but I ditched headphones Yep. because I felt that that was almost like a crutch. It's very David Goggins of you. <laughs> well, it makes sense because... Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think about it in like, cause I heard Rogan speak about getting rid of this crutch because you, and the reason why I work out is I want to be in a situation where I can protect myself. Mm. And if a building falls down, Eye of the Tiger might not be playing. Yeah, I'm just going to grab my AirPods. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Eye of the Tiger's not going to be playing when you're trying to pull 300 kilos off the ground. Yeah. Mm. You know? So if you're yeah. training for an event, you're not going to have that pick. No, nah, but you can sing it yourself. <laughs> what was <laughs> that? Imagine just like, you know, you're, you're, you're being robbed and uh, mid fight, you're like, it's the eye of the tag. Like, I'm sure it's happened. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's the people that have purely trained to music, yeah. like psych up songs, and then they're just like. But there's the other thing that goes into it too, where it's a huge time waster. Mm. So, yeah, okay, it can pump you up, it can also derail you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're you know, do a set and then you're flicking through yeah, your next entire track, next library track. of what you want next, you know, the, your heart rate's dropped, mm. you're not in it. I find anymore. it too, when, when I'm lifting, if I'm lif- listening to certain songs, like say I'm listening to a Tool song, for example, and it's in a bit of a lull period and I'm like, you know, I normally only have maybe 30 seconds between sets, but I'm like, there's a crescendo coming and then I'm just going to wait for, wait that, for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it might be a minute and a half later yeah. and like you said, heart rate's lowered and... You know, but it does power you through it too. Yeah, but, yeah. It, but the no music thing, it's again that that to me makes it more of a meditation thing too, because you are in your own thoughts whilst you're going through what it is that you're going through, rather than having yeah another external. There is only um, really one workout song, and that would be "Here's Johnny by Hocus Pocus," nineteen ninety five or something like that. Do you know? Yeah. That song? No. No, we'll play it after. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But I've gone as OCD as wearing the same shoes, mm-hmm. the same two pairs of shorts every session so that... So you wear two sh- pairs of shorts every session? Yeah, I wear two. That's the gym <laughs> double, double, double mask. Like, <laughs> yeah. I get very wet. Yeah. <laughs> so that if there are inconsistencies, it's in my form, not in what I'm wearing. Right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Well, I, I see all the time on like social media and stuff like that, you know, some people have like Converse one day and then like Adidas and then Vans. It's like, yeah, okay, you might be proficient enough, a lifter to just know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not at that level yet. I'm still at the stage of learning the craft. Mm. So I want to, again, it's eliminating variables. Yeah, you got to build a foundation first. Yeah. So I, I know if I set up this way with this, you know, drop in my shoe, it's always going to be, my feet are always going to land at the same 
spot um you know the inconsistencies will come in other areas my Mm -hmm. lower back my knees or whatever it is but it won't be because every week i'm standing at a different height or Mm. have a different slope in my shoe or something like that so yeah for me it was it was just finding a consistent place so Mm -hmm. the gym was that consistent place no other interaction with other people you know nothing to and what i don't want to say is that I don't want to promote that there won't be disappointment at the gym because mm. there definitely is. Mm. You know, you, you might go in there and you don't complete a set because mm. for that day, you, you know, you week, it, yeah, it just wasn't in you. Yeah. So you will find disappointment there too, but I find the chances of that happening, especially with the, you know, kicking of endorphins from you actually doing workout, mm. the impact is far less than if a customer screamed at you or if you're, yeah. you know, if your girlfriend you know, had issues or, or what have you. It's just sort of that safe space. And it's, it's an environment that you're putting yourself in where you're surrounded with people who are just trying to get better and, and trying to get themselves better and to a, to a better place. And there's, there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, like, hey, we worked in retail in cars. It's a pretty negative experience for a lot of people, particularly mm. like customers will always claim that it's a negative experience. Customers, oftentimes you make it a negative experience when you ruin it for yourselves and for all of us. But even just the, the, the corporate culture in those environments, it is very competitive. Mm. So it is about like when you're just a salesperson, it's about I got to sell more cars than you. I got to sell more cars than you because I want to look like I'm the best. Like for me, it wasn't even about the money, so to speak, when I was selling cars, it was about competing and being the best. And that competitive nature can be a positive thing, Mm. can be a negative thing, as we've spoken about before. But when you go to the gym, and it's really, it can be competitive too, Mm. but you are surrounded by people who are just trying to make themselves better. Yeah, it's it's people who have chosen to go there. Yeah. No one's forcing you to go to the gym. That's right. You're you're paying the $15 and you're doing the hour there mm-hmm. it's your choice so yeah you do you don't often find negative people in yeah. that environment uh, it's just yeah it's it's a world that I haven't been exposed to mm-hmm. it's it's funny because I do because of how sort of my brain does work mm-hmm. I try and limit ups and downs it sounds depressing but I, again it's another consistency mm-hmm. I'd rather work at a steady medium than be on ecstasy and then yeah depressed so I haven't really been bothered by work environments that have been quite negative mm-hmm. I've just sort of been accustomed to oh that this is just what life is but it was a strange experience was in this 10-week challenge we had a essentially like a group a facebook group where it was just the people in the group no one else and it was just positivity mm. the whole time that's what we we're saying last week that closed groups seem to be the only place of positivity on, on social yeah. media depending on the group oftentimes but um tell me tell us about your coach so i'm going to go for a piece <laughs> i was literally just thinking um Alex is very consistent in leaving <laughs> pretty much every episode. I was like, it's got to be coming soon. So, so tell, tell us about your coach though. So, so Dave, he's uh, same age as me. So he's 27 turning 28, I okay. believe. Uh, very skinny. 
growing up. So essentially he had almost the opposite or potentially even a, a harder journey, I mm. guess, is putting on mass. In my opinion, anyway, I found fat loss easier to do than I guess what muscle building will mm. be to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not in that phase yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but he started off, I guess, skinny and he worked to build up. Mm -hmm. But he's, uh, I'm not entirely sure where he got sort of all his education and whatnot from, uh, but he's very good at, at what he does. Mm -hmm. uh, he does online coaching as well as uh, owns his own gym, mm -hmm. but he's, he's got clients, you know, all the way up at North Queensland to down in Melbourne. Yeah. So he's got people who are reaching out to, to get his services because mm -hmm. he, he does know how to sort of build a program and work with a client. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've made sure that I was as honest with him as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a conversation that I had with him where I said, I will be, I said, I know you've got hundreds of clients, mm -hmm. but I'll make the agreement that I'll be as dedicated to you as possible. Cause I said, otherwise there's no, there's no point. There's no point having you know, six cheese pizzas and a block of chocolate and saying, mm. oh, I had kale yeah, yeah. for lunch. Yeah, that's right. And then essentially, oh, you know, why am I still fat? Mm. You know, it's obviously This not is your fault. It's your bad coaching. That's it. So mm. I, I made sure the relationship was I'll do whatever you program, mm -hmm. you know, constant communication and, and we'll get there. And he's been really supportive in the way of um, it's more or less just being technique. Mm -hmm. So the nutrition side of things, I think I grasped a lot earlier than what most people struggle with because mm -hmm. again, most people, uh, you know, emotional eaters, they don't have time or whatever. So they're just shoveling in whatever they can. So it takes a while to get out of that programming. Whereas I've had this free time where I can go and do the shop and meal prep and mm -hmm. do all that sort of thing. So my biggest downfalls have been sort of, technique and getting that on in track mm -hmm. especially for a taller guy mm. powerlifting is not the friendliest sports no the taller you are yep uh because so it's all a good coach to who's identified the kind of person that you are and realized that okay if if technique is what liam finds important then i'll just address that and he's fine with the other stuff mm. or is it a bad coach is someone that just applies the same thing over and over and over again. No, this is this is how you do it. You know, it's like a bad salesperson, isn't it? Just just talks to people about all the things they don't really care about instead of actually yeah. qualifying and finding out what's important to them mm. and yeah. focusing on those. And it's it's good too because, like, I've only met him once because mm -hmm. he, you know, operates a gym that I'm not part of. It's in it's in Caboolture, so it's not local for me. So it's all more or less been online but he'll get you to film from different angles too. Mm -hmm. So he can see, you know, where your back is from every angle where your knees are and things like that. So mm -hmm. he can, he's still spending the time to make it as personal as possible. Mm -hmm. Cause I guess at the end of the day too, you're in a very sort of saturated market unless you can show that you're, you know, providing results. Mm -hmm. There's no point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the benefit of competition, right? Mm. Is if, if if you've got only one person doing offering a service, everyone has to go to that person. But 
when you've got this many options, you actually need to provide better service. Yeah. And obviously, based on your results that you've received, he must be a very, very good coach. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, it's, it's a two-way street. You Obviously, the client has to put in as much as what, or even more than what the coach puts out too. But I just said, you know, even if it's something that you wouldn't normally prescribe to someone, like I'll put in 100% what you what you structure. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the good thing that I've noticed too is that the coaches have coaches. Yeah. So that's, that's an important uh, thing that I've noticed, you know, especially in the strength community is that pretty much all of the top tier coaches also still have coaches. Mm. So even though you might have the knowledge, like you have obviously acquired the knowledge to be able to program something. So why not just program your own? you know, structure, but they're still seeking knowledge from other people because mm-hmm. other people have different ideas or yeah. see things that you don't see. Yeah. So it's always reassuring when someone that you're getting knowledge from is also still. Yeah, learning. definitely. Yeah. So that's something that was important as well. So I want to ask you two questions. Or is it, is it two questions to close this, this part out? Mm-hmm. Is, there is something else I want to talk about after. I've got some things too. What, this might be a long one today. What is... So if, if you were going to tell someone to start their journey or, or, or help someone start their own journey, mm. what advice would you give them? There needs to be a why, mm-hmm. I think. Time frames, not necessarily. I think time frames are important to an extent. Mm. So I always say 10 weeks pretty dramatic change in 10 weeks, but I wanted to see how, what I could get out of, out of a 10 week cycle. Mm-hmm. Their journey doesn't have to be 10 weeks. It could be, you know, two years. Yeah. I do think that time parameters do work for certain people more yeah. than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do sort of thrive under pressure. You just need to make sure it's not, as I said earlier, that 30 day binge where you just swing mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. Um, but a, uh, a cutoff date, or it doesn't have to be a cut-off date, but have a goal and have when you want to get there mm-hmm. and make it reasonable. So I think one of the things that's important for me too is that my goal changes. Yeah. So with my coach, it was uh, essentially started at 120. I'm down to about 100 now. Uh, wanting to drop to 90 mm-hmm. just to see if I can uh, get there and get rid of the last, last little bit and mm-hmm. then essentially build back up. Mm-hmm. So he wants me sitting anywhere between 115 and 120, right. but that'll be a much longer process. Yeah. So, cause as you know, I, I found that cutting fat is a lot easier than building muscle. Because any you Definitely. see, you see it all the time. You know, a lot of people do drop a lot of weight, but then you see how long it takes for professional athletes and bodybuilders to get to their size, and it's it takes years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So having but having that why, I think, is very important. So, you know, why are you doing this? Is yeah. it because you feel unhealthy and you feel shitty? You know, are you... And make sure it's something for you, mm. not something for someone, you someone Instagram else. Instagram following? Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, and, like, I guess it can be for other people too. Like, say... Uh, this is going to sound really bad because it's based on appearance, but... You know, so you won't have any luck, um, you know, getting a date or something like that. And you're 
you know, 200 kilos. I'm not saying that a 200 kilo person shouldn't be able to get a Dane, but if that's something where you think that you can increase your you, chances, you can yeah. increase your yeah. chances. Same thing with, uh, and I, let's be fair. We all know that it's a good thing for you. So oh it's yeah. Not like, yeah. It's not, it's not like it's, it's, it, it requires less energy to fix yourself than what it would take to change the world's idea of mm. what you should be. Correct. And I'll, I'll just on that note, too, I can't remember what I was watching the other day, but um, they they were, it might have been flagrant too, maybe, but they're talking about, they've done a study on um, Tinder and dating sites, and they got people to rate themselves for what, what number out of 10 in physical attractiveness they think they are. Um, and then they saw who they swiped on and who they didn't. And so for guys, typically what most guys were doing was they would rate themselves, say, a 6 out of 10. They might swipe up to a 7 or an 8, mm. but then they'll also swipe some 5s, some 4s, maybe a couple of 3s here and there, probably depending on it's what time of the early morning it is. Pretty much. But they found with women, women were typically the absolute majority, like 95% of swipes are on 10s and 9s regardless of what they actually rated themselves personal, uh, personally. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's, <laughs> that's funny. But that's that's evolution. You know, we can... It makes sense, right? Yeah, we can, we can argue it to we're blue in the face that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't like someone based on their appearance. But mm. That's what you see. That's what you see. You don't have the opportunity to go and find out what kind of personality they have until you've made the first judgment which is oh this person looks like someone that i'd be attracted to let's mm. see what their personality is like yeah that's always that's the first barrier there's a reason why we feel attracted to someone without knowing who they are in the first place yeah it's, it's a just genetic too. Yeah, like, that's right. if you've got good genes you can tell that someone's yeah. got good genes by the by the way they look yeah so hey, again you know. so being being healthy and fit um for the idea of actually putting out a, a better looking you that's not a bad thing as no. long as it's not your sole correct goal. Correct. And the other thing I wanted to ask you to, to, to sum up is, on your journey, did the audio podcast influence you in any way, shape, or form? It has given me a more positive outlook on aspects. So again, as I said, I like to write that sort of medium, no mm -hmm. highs, no yeah. lows. Yep. And the vast majority of why I'm at that line is because there are a lot of negatives that I do attach myself to, mm -hmm. but yeah, there are certainly, you know, watching you guys and, you know, what you've done sort of outside of the constructs of, you know, corporate worlds and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. It takes stepping out and looking at other people doing things differently to appreciate it mm -hmm. as well. Because once you're sort of in that machine, you just sort of... Yeah, your you, blinkers are on. Yeah, you, just yeah, complete you, tunnel vision. Like, we've all been there. Yeah. yeah, you're just part of it. So, again, like, I've just got accepted into uh, uni to study psychology. Mm -hmm. So that's... And that was born, I guess, from this challenge. Because I can see that there are a lot of people who potentially want to change, but they don't know... They don't have the tools to get there mm. even you know elite level powerlifters are still you know I, I know a guy who can lift 400 kilos but he's like oh you know 
I'm not jacked. I'm not like this, mm. these, these bodybuilders. So I don't feel good. It's like you lifted almost half a ton yeah. off the ground. You're focusing on the wrong thing. So I do think there's a lot of sort of mental barriers that people don't have the right tools to sort of grasp and unlock mm. their full potential, which I would like to sort of experiment in that space sure. and see if we can do That's something. That's awesome. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah cool. Whereas I think before, because I was part of that corporate machine, it was all me, me, me. Mm. What can I do that's going to help me? Mm. Don't care about anyone else. But being in this sort of experience and, and, you know, watching the pot every week, it is sort of how can we help the person next to us as well. Interesting. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. What did, uh, what did you want to bring up? Um, so a couple of things. One thing I want to talk about just very, very briefly was, and you're not really a big combat sports, sports fan, are you? So neither of you are. But I wanted to talk about, briefly touch on the Paul Gallen-Lucas Brown fight on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So big boxing match. Um, now, I didn't watch it because I knew it was going to be a shit show for a start. But one of the things that I did just quickly want to say to Boxing Australia, more people would watch your shit if the main event didn't start at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night. So they've got to address that. They, they've just got to make it where earlier. Was, where was the fight? Wollongong. Like in Australia. But obviously the buying, like, are they trying to, are they getting more? The American audience. Yeah. I can tell you right now, the American audience does not give a shit about Paul Gallen <laughs> fighting Lucas <laughs> Brown. Yeah. They just don't care. And then when... I hear it's sponsored by um, 4 and 20 sausage rolls, I believe. Uh, well, no, as... Uh, that was an apricot slice. It was yeah. an apricot <laughs> slice or whatever, yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I... So I'll, I'll put it out there. I did have a little bit of money on Paul Gallant to win by decision. To him, for him to be a former world champion, Australia's only ever heavyweight boxing champion in less than two minutes. Um, great achievement for Paul Gallant. Like he is actually doing really, really well. Um, Lucas Brown, come on, man. Clearly, I don't think he was actually invested in this at all. He just showed up to get a payday. And look, fair enough. Make your money, whatever. That's fine. But one thing I did want to say is. That was pro like there were some really good um, undercard fights in that, which showed how I guess healthy like Australian boxing is becoming because it's not really been a big thing over here. And I just wanted to highlight some of the Australian combat sports athletes that we've got going on around the world at the moment because we are achieving really good things. So like last weekend you had Robert Whitaker in the UFC, um, amazing shutout performance of Kelvin Gastelum, very very good fighter. Uh, so he's probably in line for the next title shot again. So he's been a, a world champion before. Um, and he'll probably face Israel Asadi next. So that's coming up. You've got um, an Australian legend, John Wayne Parr, Muay Thai legend, just fought uh, yesterday in one championship. Now, he lost against a guy called Nicky Holtzkin, who is a beast. Like, these are two combat legends just going at each other. But talking about mental strength and training and stuff like that. So John Wayne Parr's got somewhere around 150 professional fights on his record. He's got 99 wins, so he wants he wants his 100th win, right? He's 44 years old. He had hip surgery seven months ago, so hip resurfacing. So essentially, he had that much scar tissue in his hip. They pull it out, they shave the surface off, they make a new like little cut for it, and they stick it back in. Like major surgery, right? Seven months ago, 44 years of age, and yet he lost. He put on an amazing performance. Because of COVID, he was not allowed to bring a team with him to Singapore. Uh -huh. So, no team. 
Um, one championship, they do a thing called hydration testing for... Um, oh, so one of the big problems with combat sports is weight cuts, weight cuts yeah. right? So oftentimes you're getting people who are just losing a bunch of water weight, they're completely drawn out the day before the fight, and then when you don't have the water in your skull, it's, it's really dangerous, right? So one championship has brought in a thing called hydration testing. So you need to hit your um, the weight limit, but you also need to be hydrated when you hit the weight limit. Interesting. Now, it's the first time he's ever had to do this in his entire 155 yeah. career. So, it, it was an absolute disaster. He's, he put a post up on his social media about it. And it essentially consisted of him the entire day spending on a treadmill and drinking water, trying to weigh in but still be hydrated at the same time. So well, no one competes at the weight that they compete at. That's right. No one. They should. I we should. I think... Look, in a way, yes and no, because th- in my personal opinion, I feel like you should still be able to cut weight, mm. but they should have weigh-ins three days before the fight instead of the day before, mm. because I feel like you should be able to safely cut the weight down, but give your body enough time to safely put the, 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 the nutrients and the water back into it. It is strange, though, because you can, you've got people competing so do powerlifting, for example, mm-hmm. you've got people competing in the under 110 kilo weight class mm-hmm. who are 116 kilos yep. and they do that water cut and then they just do a big refeed the next day. Mm-hmm. Six, wouldn't, wouldn't it sound rational and logical to just compete in the, the weight that you're at? So you, you weigh in, you weigh in. Before but this is, but this is the thing I'm not saying all sports but uh, some sports then they just have an open category so once you once you teeter over say 115 it might just be open so you could be 116 kilo lifter against a 140 kilo lifter yeah that person's gonna pull a shit ton more than you Mm. so if you just cut that six kilos in water weight you come in at the under 110 yeah it's a lot easier. And, it's a lot easier. And you also you also competing against people who are more in line with, with your socks. And that's, that's one of the issues with like heavyweight class in like the UFC and also in boxing as well. So like in most weight classes in the USC, you've got maybe a 10 to 15 sort of pound difference between each class. Mm. Uh, in the heavyweight division, it's 206 to 265 pounds. Mm. So you're talking 30 kilos different. Mm. So again, when you're, when you're, you know, you're fighting someone, a 30 kilo weight difference is, is a mm. big deal. So look, I, I agree with you. Um, weight cutting is one of the biggest problems with the sport. Um, the, again, the one championship model is great for people who are living there, training there, doing, yeah. doing it all the time. But for a 155 veteran at 44 years old, seven months off, um, hip surgery, which means he can't actually run properly, uh, to go through everything that he did and then face an absolute killer... And again, put on a great performance. He did. He lost by TKO, but put on an amazing performance. Shout out to John Wayne Parr. He's an Australian treasure, which not enough people actually know about and, sure. and appreciate. Uh, coming up this weekend, you've got a UFC event on Sunday. There's a guy called Jim Crute who's fighting first fight of the main card. If you don't know who Jim Crute is and you're a fight fan, find, his, uh, find out who Jim Crute is. He's going to be our next big thing um, as far as male light heavyweights go. He's... Absolute beast, and he's gone up against a guy called Anthony Smith, who's got a big name. Uh, he's I wouldn't say he's on the back end of his career, very, very experienced. Um, 
but it's a really good opportunity for Jim Crute to really break through into like the top 10 and, uh, and show what he can do, which is awesome. And we've also got a girl called Casey O'Neill who's just signed with the UFC who is like the next big thing in the women's flyweight. So Australian, Australian combat athletes on a world stage are going so much better than the absolute shit show we saw on Wednesday night between Paul Gallen and Lucas Brown. Um, and if you are a fight fan, uh, educate yourself on these people because they are, like, we've got some really, really good athletes going out maybe, at the moment. Maybe we put links to the socials or something at the bottom of the Yeah, well, and the cool thing about um, uh, One Championship is they put all of their fights on their YouTube channel for free. So you could go on, on YouTube right now, and I'll put a link to it, um, and you can watch John Wayne Parr's fight uh, that he just had. Uh, and you can watch any one, one championship fight on there, which is pretty cool. Because how many fights do you generally get in the UFC? So it depends. Um, and that, this is probably where it gets tricky for the fighters because oftentimes the UFC will try to sign you on a long-term deal, like an eight-fight contract, for example, mm. because, again, they're a business, so they want to sign you up while you're cheap mm. and hold you for as long as they possibly can. Um it, it really, it's not really merit-based a lot of the time as far as who keeps their contract and who doesn't. Um, it used to be that if you lost three fights in a row, you would just be marched anyway. Um, but in recent years, it's, you know, you'll have guys who might have lost, you know, five out of the last six fights, but fans tune in to watch them every time because they're exciting. And those guys will, will stay on the card, which I think is, um, is really good to have. Because it is an entertainment business these days too. I mean that one. That's that slogan. Paul is mm. is this um, you know what Mayweather, Money Mayweather did, and what mm-hmm. McGregor did. You just talk shit. Yeah, that's all you do is just talk shit, and people just want to hit you. Yeah, and, and people watch it. That was probably something else I was going to bring up too. Was the the whole Jake Paul Ben Askren fight thing? Um, there's the everything before this. Because I'm not a Jake Paul fan. I'll freely admit I'm not a Jake Paul fan. But I will say, for a kid who's dipping his toes into boxing, he does have some skills. Mm. He's got one combo, but he uses it effectively against Mm. guys who don't have that combo. Mm. And if he actually faces real boxers who've seen that combo because it's very basic, um, it's basically a jab to the body and an overhand right. Mm. So it's designed to jab to the body, brings your hands down, overhand right, it's the knockout punch. You have to have knockout power, though, to make it. You do have to have power, for sure. And he is a bigger guy. Like, he'd be similar size to us, I'd say. Um, In bit shape. A little bit. Uh, But for all these people who've come out going, like, oh, like, you know, like, let's see what happens when he fights a real boxer. Ben Askren was his third fight. His third professional fight. Yeah. And I I saw Brendan Sharp said this during the week. You go back, watch all the greats. Watch Mayweather. Watch Tyson Fury. Watch... Yeah. You know, in their he's third fight... He's not a real fight, boxer yet. Yeah, exactly. He's not a real boxer yet. So, but, but he's very smart. But I don't know if that's his goal. No, it's not. No, well, it's money. It's money. And yeah. he's, he's absolutely if, yeah. killing the game at the moment. Yeah, fight basketball players, who cares? You get yeah. a shit ton of money yeah. and you're not going to get brain damage. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to make a shitload of money. Yeah. Why Although, wouldn't you do that? I did say to you during the week, my concern is that this... I'm not exactly stoked with this seemingly uh, uh, like pr- um, ramping up of these ex- exhibition fights mm-hmm. because I worry that someone's going to get really, really hurt one day because they're not boxers. Because they're not yeah. real martial artists, mm-hmm. they might not have the tools uh, uh, required mm-hmm. and someone might get really, really hurt out of this which might stop the whole, 
Look, it, and it, it, it may happen, but would you fight Jake Paul for $500,000? Yeah, would I get knocked out by Jake Paul? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying, well, I, I, watch this space. Mm-hmm. Something, if more and more of these, if these become more prevalent, and then, you know, some other social media guys, as they're organising smaller events, mm-hmm. boxing's dangerous. It is yeah. a danger, yeah. dangerous thing, and someone is... It can't go well. The more that it happens, the the uh, the chances of serious injury mm-hmm. only go on. Yeah, and look, that that is a point. Um, at the end of the day, I will say though, it is all. It's just a personal choice thing. And if you choose to take part in a boxing match, you know the consequences that can happen for sure. out of that as well. For sure. So, I I do believe that we should live in a free society where if you want to box someone, you should be allowed to box someone if you want to. Yeah. Oh, the first message that I'm saying out there is like you use your head. Mm. For things other than CT, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, you want want to go get rich. I just don't want young people going and saying, "All right, aspiring. That's what I need to do. I, I need to get into ex- uh, uh, exhibition fights because that's where the money's at." Yeah, but in fairness, I, I think that's a, a smarter thing for young people to do than go and fight in the street like they normally do yeah. for free with no gloves on. It kind of goes into because other way this segues into what I want to talk about, which is Dogecoin. <laughs> so you could go you could go and make money other ways. Right. So you guys were all witness to this because I sent it in the group chat. Mm-hmm. But I I have made a little bit of money off Dogecoin previously. It is a meme coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand. We're talking cryptocurrencies now for those, the uninitiated. It's a joke. Dogecoin is a joke. However, because people have made so much money out of uh, other cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. they're willing to dabble into these joke coins. And when Uncle Elon Musk tweets something, it just goes through the roof and everyone jumps on. Mm-hmm. So I was very much up on Dogecoin. And I'll, I'll say figures, it's about 800 bucks I've made just from little Dogecoin bets here and there. So I thought... I like how you call them bets. Well, yeah, yeah. So because it's not a... I think it's betting, and this is what I want to talk about, the difference between betting and investing. Mm-hmm. I'm an investor, I'm not a better. Mm-hmm. But with Dogecoin, for example, it was just time, the, the times I've made money is when there's been a pump, jump on the pump, ride it up. So in a way, that's more investing. What I did on Sunday, they disgusted me. And I did it. I've got mm. nothing but myself to blame, but it, it was an interesting mental, uh, mental um, note on myself, what I did. I went 20 times long on... Dogecoin and watched it, right? And I made. We're sorry, Nicholas Mertens. Yeah, (sighs) we're sorry. In ten seconds, I made one hundred and forty dollars, right? In ten seconds, sold. Right. Oh, I'm gonna ride this train again. Go again. Boom. Made like one hundred and eighty dollars. Next one. Oh man, how good is this? Bam. Sold. The next one. My brain is now completely irrational. Mm -hmm. And all I'm thinking is this train. You've won on it every time. Yeah, this train. You're on a hot streak, bro. You can't lose. The problem when you go 20 times leverage is that you only need a very small percentage loss Mm. for it to completely liquidate. So, and the the worst thing about liquidation is it doesn't even tell you liquidates until you go searching for it. It just disappears off your (laughs) platform. And I sent you guys a video yeah, yeah. of what it looks like when it when it goes, and it's very un. It's not very. Uh, uh, it, it's an unceremonious way to lose all your money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I gave it all away. Right, I gave it all away. So, and then I on, on reflection of that, I'm like, man, that is so dumb. But that is that FOMO. That is all all the things that they tell you that you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. It's easy, even for someone like me that's not a gambler. Mm-hmm. 
that that has usually used some form of bait, like like uh, educational information to make an informed decision on it. Mm-hmm. I got caught up in it. Yeah, and and gave all that money. All right, I, I've just created a new investment rule. Yeah. If you're looking at investing something and your heart rate raises slightly, don't do it. Yeah. That's, that's, my, that's my new investment that's rule. Not a bad. Because if your heart rate raises slightly, that means that you're, you're starting to emotionally or, or potentially FOMO invest in something. Mm. So don't do it. Yeah, it, it, was, it was funny because two trades before that, you said, I just want enough. To pay for lunch. Pay for lunch. Yeah. Mm. And then, yeah. Yeah. Rolled it. So you you gone you and you progressed literally within the same hour from like you were on the pokies and you were doing twenty cent bets and you just kept winning and you were like you know what if I ramp this up to the one dollar bets I reckon I can just take this and multiply it by five and then you ramped it up and then it took all your money. So leverage trading sucks. Yeah, um, and and what? A, so then I actually tried, I tried only two s like two times leverage, which which is a little bit more. Um, you can definitely, uh, it's less. You got less exposure. Yeah, it's lower risk, lower reward. Yeah. Now I used technical analysis to come to my decision. So I had trade view open. I saw an ascending wedge being built, and you know that after this certain wedge, it will break out in a certain way. Now the the rough rule of thumb, and, and I've not studied formally, this is just, and I obviously got it wrong, mm-hmm. but usually it breaks out in, in line with the overriding trend at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's gone on this massive peak, mm-hmm. f- moved in this sideways ascending wedge. In my mind, it was obviously going to break up. So that's why I put a, uh, a, a um, bet in there, because I thought it was going to go up, sorry, purchase or enter the trade, and it broke down. Mm. So it broke, broke out in a bearish uh, uh, formation. And then it formed the exact same shape. So then I've gone, well, obviously, it's <laughs> going to go up this time. And it went exactly the same way it did before, mm-hmm. down. <laughs> so... Uh, Don't chase your losses, gamble responsibly. <laughs> but it's, well, and I think the big lesson in especially the crypto thing, is it, that Doge provides no value besides jokes and memes, you know. And Whoa. there are a whole stack of these coins now, just like what happened in 2017, 2018. All these scam coins come out. All, all this... Uh, you got to think about the mindset of these people that have made... What was it? Safe Ponzi scam Safe, <laughs> safe Ponzi and come... Come rockets. Come rockets. Come rockets, yeah. Yeah, so these people are creating these ridiculous coins... And don't forget, there's a lot of people out there that have made massive multiples on their investments. Oh, yeah. That have no freaking idea. Well, when, no. that's the whole thing. Like, when we we played around in Dogecoin months ago when uh, Reddit was trying to pump it to a dollar, oh, right? We all, we all thought we were going to get rich very quickly. Yeah, and we, were, and we were buying it, like, when it was worth sort of three, three or four cents uh, per coin. And then... <laughs> You know, we rode that wave a little bit up and down. Like, I think we all made a tiny little bit of money. Yeah, I made some money. Right, I made a little bit of money too, but not that much. If we just would have held it, it went up to like 50 cents. (laughs) Yeah. So, the only thing I think of, if Doge does ever get down to that three or four cent mark again, I'll probably just buy a couple of coins. For sure. And then I'll just sit on them. Oh, big time. And sit on them long term. Because, you know, if like I said, if Uncle Elon 
tweets about it, and then if Tesla buys a million Dogecoin... Yeah, or that, that pirate coin went from, like... A fraction of a cent. Yeah, a fraction of a cent to, like, $10. Mm. Well, that's... So that's the other uh, trick that some people do is create a very short supply coin mm. that when it moves only very little bit in terms of evaluation, mm-hmm. the percentage goes up. So it shows yeah. up on a lot of like coin market cap. You might search by what's grown by the most. Yeah, yeah. And there's something, you know, if you had, a, there was a coin that had a circulating supply of only three coins mm-hmm. and it went up a cent, well, as a percentage, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So some, someone might go, okay, I need to buy that. Yeah, that's right. And, and it drives the price up. So there's all these games come. that are played. So, I still think of myself as a fundamentals trader and I want to believe in the thing that I'm investing in. Mm-hmm. Doge is not one of those things. Mm. And and you are destined to get burnt. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, your heart rate raised slightly. <laughs> I don't know if my heart... Oh, fuck oath it did. You, you, don't, you don't film something <laughs> and send it to your <laughs> mates <laughs> if your heart rate hasn't raised at all. It was rough. It was rough. I'm trying to think the last time you sent me something really boring. Was that boring? No, no it that's wasn't. The, that's the point. That's yeah. the point. So, um, But it's great how you didn't follow your own principles. I know. I was completely outside of my own skin. Twice. Which was the alarming thing. Because you're yeah. like, oh, once this wedge forms, it goes the way that it's been going. And it went down. You thought, well, surely it won't go down again. It's like, but you just said that it forms to go in the current direction. You should have gone 40x on the the second time, because then you would have gone back up and then further. Why don't you just go 100x on your next trade? Well, I'll try it. I'll try try 100. I'll try 100 and see what what happens, provided it's it's going up. But yeah, look, there's money to be made on the pumps, but you've got to be fast. Mm. And like I, I was dirty because I missed that day. I missed a really good dope pump because we're here. No, mm. on, on Saturday there was a massive pump. I think you maybe texted the group saying that, that Uncle Elon had said something, and I was busy. I was with customers, so mm. I couldn't. I couldn't get on it. Yeah, I think it's when it went from about ten cents to about eighteen cents. Yeah, mm. and then it just went from there to fifty. Yeah, cents. it's like fifty four cents or something ridiculous. So, like, remember at the beginning when they were like, yeah, let's get Doge to a dollar, and everyone's like, whatever. Got halfway there. Yeah. In two months, it got halfway there. It's I, crazy. I had a lot of belief in that. I had, yeah, so like three and a half grand in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so something, uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, we've spoken about ETFs in, yep. in recent times. It got a, they got a shout out on ABC News this morning. Did they really? Vanguard? So, not Vanguard. So an Aussie one had said that uh, ETF... People in Australia that have invested in ETFs went from 450,000 to 750,000 people mm-hmm. in one year. So they've right. grown and they're expecting to get another 200,000. Mm-hmm. And a very high percentage of millennials that are investing in ETFs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great sign. That is a really, really good sign. And they're saying, look, it's because not everyone can get into property. Mm-hmm. Also, access to information out there. It's If you just search for what's the best way to... Yeah. To trade or a safe way to trade, I'm encouraged to think that because you know, it's, oh, these kids aren't going to know what to do. Well, the stats are showing that they they're more engaged in investing mm. than than what we thought. So that's good. I think I think it's really good, and it will drive prices higher too. Yeah. The the only thing that maybe scares me a little bit about it is I think I sent you guys a picture in the group too the other day about so the ETF that I'm in is showing a 12 month uh, return of 38 percent at yeah. the moment. 
And uh, if everyone is buying into it, thinking that that's the return they're going to get, they will be a little bit disappointed because it was literally 12 months at the end of March this year. Whereas at the, like, it was, I think it was the start of, oh, it might have been March last year that was when Vanguard just tanked. Mm. Not Everything not, did. Everything did when, the, yeah, when COVID hit, share market tanked because everyone freaked out. Um, so obviously you're showing 12 months of it's completely back to where it yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. Look at 10 year averages and then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. But, um, Hey, I, I've been really, really happy with the performance of our ETF that we've been in. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, wish I did it sooner. Really. Well, so I'll be getting into it as soon as my property sell. I'm, I'm going balls deep into, yeah. into that. Can you 20 X on an ETF? You'll find a way. It is. You'll find a way. Well, no, but that's that's what property is. Property is leverage trading. So yeah, I'm I'm ridiculous for what I did, but um, buying a house, you're leverage trading. Mm. So you are borrowing money to invest. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I put fifteen grand in back in the day. Borrowed three hundred. So what's that as a percentage? Yeah. So twenty x is not that. Is actually not as irrational as what. What do you think? The, yeah, I but, think that's but funny. But 20x on Dogecoin is irrational. Yes. It wasn't the first two. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you didn't... Didn't you but, say you didn't 20x on the first two? No, no, I did 20x on the first oh, two. Oh, okay. But yeah, so I made the big bang. But, right. but what you've just illustrated to me there is is you being very critical of 20xing Doge, mm. but quite happy to 20x property. Yeah, because yeah. you literally just said before that Dogecoin has no value. Correct. Yeah. Property does have value Correct. and always will have value. Yeah. So it is more it is more rational to twenty X on a property than it is property on won't Dogecoin. Have value. It's that's that's not a um it's not a definite No, it is. State decides all of a sudden, so a new regime comes in, state decides, oh by the way, there's no property ownership anymore, then what happens? Yeah, that that's a pretty big call that I don't think we'll see in our lifetime in no, Australia. But there are chances. Yeah, I know, but there is more of a chance, there is less of a chance of the Australian government taking over into a dictatorship and taking all their properties off than Dogecoin being a, uh, having more value than property. What I'm trying to illustrate is that 20x sounds ridiculous, yet people are being told to do it every day. That's what I'm trying to say. I know. Yeah. I understand that. In a more stable market. But not beneficial to them. So I've done the maths, me 20, 20 times leveraging for property compared to what I could have got non-leveraged trading in an ETF and I would have been $150,000 ahead. Well, I think it depends on the property too. Yeah. You, for sure. You, you, so just straight up, too. you straight up got unlucky on, on your properties. I don't understand why they haven't gone astronomically through the roof. No, but even, it, I, I would say though, even the ones that have gone astronomically up, have, has, have all the costs been factored in? You know, have land rates are more expensive for more expensive properties. Mm. You know, so so if you really sat down and analysed, have you really benefited from it? Yeah, I th- I think that you're not quite there yet though because you can because you've got two units. Yeah, yeah. Well, t- a, a duplex pair. Mm. So you're, stand one. Well, you're getting to the you're getting to the realization now that most places are going to turn into duplexes or townhomes or units because essentially the reason why a lot of the house prices have gone up is because developers are buying them in twos and threes knocking them down and putting mm. units up so yours doesn't have the same growth at the moment because they can't knock yours down and build well i'd considered it i considered i can knock it down and go up so i could turn two three bedrooms into four three bedrooms mm. and then the rental yield is great 
like you, you double your rental yield, but the problem is then you have also you're, you're now borrowing even more. Mm. Yes, the return on that that one percent, one point five percent that you're, you're making on it in terms of rent is good. But again, what what I'm saying is, have people considered what a non leveraged investment looks like compared to a extreme leverage and property mm. is extreme leverage and it's attractive now at record low interest rates but I paid 9.89 mm. when I first got mine so that could easily three three times the amount of well it's exposure. it's low interest rate but it's high cost to get in mm. at that interest rate so yeah, yeah. okay it is only two percent or something but you still need a hundred grand or yeah. hundred and fifty grand to partake in that mm. and then like what you're saying is if that interest rate shifts by five percent most people who bought a house are fucked mm. yeah in in a lot of cases but also what i'm going to say is that when you it, whatever profit that you pull out of the, the sale of those properties you're not investing in doge companies some of them <laughs> no doubt some of them will go to doge yeah. i'll make sure i'll allocate some into doge yeah but i'll be keeping a very close eye on elon Musk's tweets <laughs> there, I, there is money in pump and dumps for sure oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely and, and and that's the like as long as you're saying that the opportunities is in pump and dumps, not the opportunity specifically in Doge. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. that's, yeah. That's reckless. That's very reckless. That's reckless. <laughs> but I remember back, this is not new to me, the pump and dump's not new to me. Uh, in 2017, John McAfee, McAfee mm. Antivirus, he created McAfee Antivirus. He's massive into uh, cryptos in jail at the moment. And um, he used to do a coin of the day. Mm-hmm. And every morning, I'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, read his tweet for what the pump of the day was, mm-hmm. buy 500 bucks worth of that coin, and it would you'd add 50% to your profile every yeah. single time, every single time, every single time. Mm. It was lunacy. Why is he in jail? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Watch, he's, uh, he's got a documentary on, on uh, Netflix called Gringo. Okay. Uh, he is not who you think he is. If you thought someone that was in the made his millions... Creating an antivirus thing. Uh, he's picked up many viruses himself. <laughs> no, that's... We've had this conversation before. The argument is always, why don't the uh, Jeff Bezos of the world help mankind? Like, they're the richest people on the planet. Why mm. aren't they putting more into helping everyone else? It's all the reason why they are the richest person on the planet is because they don't want to. Mm. That's how they got to where they are yeah that's right you don't do it by investing in you know the common good well as long as there is a return on the investment so bill gates i would say is someone who's heavily invested in what he would dictate as fixing the world so his vaccination program he's making i think he said he's making five times his investment mm. in in pushing these so there are people that are doing it but you're only going to do it if it profits correct yeah although i did the when i finished my the the book that i read motivated money by peter thornhill the very last chapter, he talks about the why, and a lot of people saying, oh, there's people that have got just too much money. And he talked about a whole list of people that he knew in his network that gave their money to foundations when they passed. Mm-hmm. And there was one that he picked, he, he, um, some scientific program that purely gets paid out by donations from these bigger states. Mm-hmm. And they get no government funding, yet some of them are creating technologies and medicine and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. that was something I'd never factored in before. And there, there's a lot of, um, what's, what's the word, what's it called when you uh, 
The f- oh, philanthropy. philanthropy. Philanthropy, yeah. yeah. So so that was an aspect that I'd not thought of before. But here's something that a lot of people don't think about too, because a lot of people um, donate money to various causes, whether it's World Vision or whatever. Um, but something that was in headlines recently was... Um, so Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, when they had their fight a few months ago, uh, prior to that fight actually happening, Conor McGregor said that he would donate $500,000 to Dustin Poirier's charity. Mm. And then in recent weeks, there's been... Um, a, Dustin Poirier tweeted basically saying that Conor McGregor had welched on the money. <laughs> now, Conor McGregor's clapped back going, we asked your team for a plan of where the money's going. Yeah. Okay. Right? That's so fair. That's fair. Right? Completely fair. So you've got to think about it too. How many of us who think we're doing the right thing donate money to various causes every single day with zero plan being sent back to us on what that money is being spent on? Hmm. I think you find World Vision is probably one of the, the biggest ones. Yeah. I think, I, I, did we, didn't we look it up? They generated something like $18 billion in their time and... And um, fixed the problem. Yeah. Whereas Acorn's going in and actually turning over... He's actually... F- Fixing, providing power to mm-hmm. villages in in Africa, and profiting from it. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, you know, this this gets back to the conversation we have all the time about deconstructing the media and what all like you know follow the money. Um, when a when a charity gets all of its funding from donations to solve a problem, and that problem goes away, where does their funding go? Right. So, so where is the incentive? Where does the foundation go? Exactly. Yeah. So the, so the, the where problem those is jobs go. Those people that are leading up that. That's right. Foundation. Yeah. So that's why, like, um, one of the things that just shits me to tears about things like World Vision. So you sponsor a child, right? And then they you don't even get to keep it at the end. <laughs> yeah, you don't even own it. Um, but no, when they send you like they, they again, they just ramp up the uh, the propaganda. So they send you like the letters from the from the child, and they've got like. That's Steve wrote. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, what would a 12-year-old Ethiopian think? Yeah. Like it's, I don't think I'd think like that. I think it'd be more like that, yeah. yeah. yeah but it is, it is literally just propaganda that they just mass market. And they probably it's probably every, every single person who, um, who sponsors a child, they just check you geographically how close you are to another sponsor. And then if you're too close, they give you a different generic kit oh. that they sent out. Because I guarantee, I, actually, let's do this, right? Anyone out there who sponsors a child, yeah. I want you to post your letter on the RDO podcast Facebook page. Just post your letters up. Because I want to see if you're all getting letters from the same kid. Interesting. Yeah, because you've thrown some very outlandish claims out there. I'm completely unsubstantiated. So let's try and substantiate before yep. we go on. So post your stuff. letters up. <laughs> uh, and I think we leave it at that. <laughs> I think we leave it there. But thank you, Liam, for coming in. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us and sharing sharing with us your your journey. Shout out your coach and your, well, your coach's gym again. So uh, Dave and Jen, they uh, both run Platform Strong at Iron House Gym at Caboolture. Cool. And we'll we'll post, we'll put it in the comments. Happy days. Shout out to you, Dave. Great job. Keep the coaching up. Mm. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next audio.